Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is April 26th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Welcome back into the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. Hope you're having a great day, a great week. Uh, as the regular season winds down, slowly winds to a close. Uh, and on this episode, Connor and I talked about uh, some newsy things with the Bruins, like Marshand and uh, the power play, both two things in a big slump. Uh, we discussed Swayman kind of coming out of his own slump and how he's doing better. But the real interesting thing we did today, and this is what I was so excited and I'm so excited to do with you, uh, is I, I wanted to take a look at how this team compares to past teams, uh, past Bruins teams, of course. And we went kind of top six, bottom six, defense, and then goaltending, and how it compares to teams all the way back to 1819. Because I have a, a take with this Bruins team that I didn't expect to have this year, uh, especially mid-season. I did not expect this to be my take. And then you, and then I think when you look at the entire league as a whole, you're left with this other take of like, ah. So we went line by line, and we we did section by section of the lineup from each season. And we had some interesting takeaways. It was fun. It was a fun little activity we got to do towards the end of the regular season. I figured it was better than uh, breaking down Carolina again or New York or Toronto. So we did this instead. I I really enjoyed this. I hope you do too. Uh, And without further ado, here's my conversation with Connor Ryan. And we're here with Connor Ryan. Connor, what is up? Evan, doing well. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great as the regular season just keeps on going. It's just like, can we get to the postseason here? I know it says every week, but like it's just to that point where these regular season games, it's like, all right, let's let's wrap this up. And you're hoping no one gets any injuries. Yes. In any of these games. Taylor Hall gets hit on Sunday night up high. That looked bad. And then he ended up being fine. And you know, you just see you hope no one gets any injuries in these games. Uh, but if there was any good thing of the end of the regular season, it was an amazing, amazing sight to see the tribute for Guy Lafleur before uh, Sunday night's game against the Canadians. That's like one of those things you witness and you go, damn, that is like an all-time sports moment. And you get to see it live uh, on TV at least. And um, 
I mean, that was incredible, really. Yeah, no, I mean, it was something where going into it, uh, I believe it was, what, a seven o'clock puck drop. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way that's happening. <laughs> like, no. You knew already uh, that Montreal was going to deliver, especially delivering a tribute to a guy that uh, meant just so much to an organization and franchise that has countless uh, stars and, and players who have left quite a legacy. So to have a tribute like that, where not only was the video trip very well done, um, but then to have, what was it? 11, 12 minutes standing ovation. I mean, there was three different times where I think the announcer is trying to like butt in like, uh, uh, (laughs) please, you know, a a moment of silence. Like couldn't even get that out because you had uh, all those different situations like that. So uh, I think the fact that, um, that you, you saw that kind of tribute, that kind of um, spectacle of, of a standing ovation that lasted that long. Uh, great to see, but also not surprising, given that mock and just how much Gila Fleur meant to uh, the fans up in Montreal. Oh, yeah. And it's when you mentioned a fan thing. I always get so agitated. I don't know if you get agitated about this, too. When like Obviously, everybody was in support of the Gila Fleur tribute. It was amazing. But I always cannot stand when people... Uh, in Twitter replies and and on Facebook and YouTube go, you know, I'm not even a Canadians fan. And I love that. Or like, I'm a blue jackets yeah. fan. And I, and it's like, can you just you like, you don't need to put a qualifier behind everything. No, you can also you just, just enjoy the moment. Yeah. Like, like what? I don't, you don't need to say, Oh, I'm a Bruins fan, but I love, it's like, no, it's just a good tribute to a good man. Like just let that be. So amazing tribute. Uh, for Montreal made that game a hundred percent worth everybody's time uh, because of how good that tribute was on Sunday night. Now it's funny uh, to the ice and to the Bruins, um, obviously two good wins this past weekend over the Rangers and then the, uh, the Canadians. Uh, but one thing people are kind of worried about is Brad Marsh and everyone's kind of like, huh, you know, he hasn't scored a little while here. And then he hits the post on the empty net and, you know, you, you know you've got Bergeron calming him down on the bench. He's breaking sticks. And, I'll be totally honest with you, Connor, because we like we can overreact sometimes. We sometimes like to get our you know stuff in a bunch over uh, over some players and stuff. We overreact from time to time. I'm not too worried about Brad Marchand at all, because even though he has not scored since April 2nd, which is the first game of the month, and even though at times the points haven't been there this month, he's still playing well and he's still doing the little things and. If he's slumping before the postseason, it's better he do it now than come May. Yeah, no, exactly. I think even look at that game against Montreal where um, some good and some bad um, in terms of him maybe getting a little bit too mixed up. The the one thing I think that Bruins fans don't want to have happen is Marshan letting that frustration boil over and get into a situation where he gets in trouble. I think you looked at that. That's the high stick against Anderson. (laughs) That's the thing you have to worry about. It's just not letting that. Uh, build up and obviously he's frustrated. He saw you like, you know, smash his stick. He's very, you know, he's hot on the bench. You just hope that doesn't spill out into him doing something, you know, dumb where he gets kind of the, what is it? The red brain or what they call it when these guys get in that moment and they kind of lose it. Um, pulls pulls a knife on Jonathan Huberto. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the last thing you want to have happen. Just letting that frustration boil over into something that takes him out of games going into the postseason. That's the worst case scenario. I don't think that's the, the real tangible fear. I think probably the most realistic thing that Bruins fans are worried about is just this slump extending into the playoffs. But as you said, um, you know, it hasn't been perfect, but you're seeing some parts of his game starting to round back out with that. If he keeps on playing the style of play, keeps on generating these great A looks, 
goals are going to come eventually. I mean, you even look at that game against Montreal leading up to it, even though he kind of got frustrated as the game went on, he kind of orchestrated that first tally from Bergeron by pretty much just driving to that, fighting through contact, bringing the puck into great ice. And you have, again, you got Patrice Bergeron, Jake DeBrusque as the finishers on that line. Chances are going to be there. So even if maybe he's not scoring goals, he's still contributing. He's still generating assists. He's still creating good opportunities for his line mates. And at the very least, that's, that's what you want from them in that top line. So uh, definitely you'd like to see him have a, a goal or two here down the stretch, maybe make you feel a little bit better. Um, it's kind of the same as the power play where obviously an O for what is it? 33 <laughs> drought. It's either 33 pretty, or 34, I think. Yeah. Pretty, pretty stock uh, numbers there. But I think you saw, especially that game against the Rangers on Saturday where uh, Pasternak's back out there and they generated a few uh, more good looks against Shesterkin. See more of that. You know, it's kind of the same thing where you'd like to have them have a game where they score three power play goals, but they're generating more consistent ozone pressure, generating more grade A chances. You at least feel better about that unit going into the playoffs and eventually it's going to break out. I imagine it's the same with Marshan, where I don't think he's going to have a four goal game over these last three games. But if he keeps on, you know, string together strong performances, uh, extending ozone play, uh, I think for Bruins fans, all about just having him feeling confident that sooner or later the, the, you know, the dam is going to burst and for the Bruins, you hope it's in the playoffs. Yeah. Again, like it's all happening before the postseason. That's the thing. It's not, this is not round one. Right. And where you're like, where Marchand's playing terrible, the power play isn't showing up like then that would be an issue. But I even look back at April. Now, granted there was a three game losing streak in there. There was some really inconsistent play uh, between the Detroit loss and the Ottawa loss, which obviously two teams you shouldn't be losing to, but even with that, they still have went about seven and five right now in April so far, I believe. If you can, I mean, granted, seven and five is not amazing, but if you can do that without your best player producing at all and your power play as like the worst in the league and you're still finding ways to win, I, I look at that and I go, you know what? Like that's indicative of a team that can kind of overcome some adversity. And that's not me with my big Bruins glasses on. I think that's true. You know, you look at the depth in the lineup, and this is something I want to get to later where we compare this Bruins lineup to past Bruins lineups, which is always very, very fun. Kind of a little homework activity. We had to go back and study and look at, and look at things. Um, but again, I don't think the struggles are worrisome. Who knows, though, Connor? Will you get to game, will you get to game five of the first round? Marshans, you know, minus four, no points. The power play looks terrible. The Bruins are down three to one to, uh, you know, the, the Carolina Hurricanes. And we're sitting here going, you know what? We were wrong. We were wrong. It, it went on longer than it should have. Um, another good thing, though, or, or a, a better thing. Speaking of someone who's coming out of a slump, Swayman. Jeremy Swayman, I mean, great. It doesn't look like Linus Olmark looked tough as nails in there against yeah. the Rangers um, on Saturday. So I don't think, unless something drastic happens over these last few games, I don't foresee Swayman at least getting that. I don't see him getting the nod for game one. Um, but it's a good sign because Cassidy keeps saying they could use two. It's a good sign that he's finding his game again. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. As you said, I think right now, barring what happens over these final three games, I'd imagine that Linus Olmark gets the game one stat against whoever they end up playing. But if you're the Bruins, uh, regardless of whether or not you had a definitive guy set to go in game one, you'd much rather have a situation where you have two capable goalies ready to go and have the decision be, all right, who do I go with as opposed to, oh shit, you know, is 
uh, <laughs> is is Linus Olmark still hurt? Then we have to just roll with Swayman, who's flipping still kind coins of back there. Goalie Bob yeah. is flipping his quarters. Yeah, exactly. You'd rather have it be two options you pick between and, and have to make that decision as opposed to just rolling with one guy, whether it be Swayman because Linus Olmark was still hurt from that Ottawa game or a situation where, all right, we have to rely on Olmark, who playing great, but also his first postseason because Jeremy Swayman has really been struggling with his game. You don't really want to throw him into that fire. So like, the last thing you want to do is have a guy who's maybe struggling down the stretch and be like, okay, here's Carolina, you know, like that's <laughs> here's not, Florida. Yeah. It's not conducive to, I think to a player's uh, success if, if you're putting them in a spot like that. So the fact that one Olmark, as you said on Saturday was fantastic against the Rangers. Um, great to see. Cause even if uh, you know, for a position like that, that's so hot and cold. I think it was to be expected. There's going to be one, at least some rust or two, the expectation that, it's going to take Olmark a little bit more time to build his game back up after missing a couple of games. So for him to play like that against a Rangers team, that's very good. Uh, was very encouraging. And as you said, I don't know if Swayman's, he's not on that heater that he was maybe in the post Rask retirement thing, where it was a, what a nine thirty save percentage in <laughs> 10 games. But the fact that he's at least, you know, stringing together nine, 14, nine, 15, nine, 16, save percentage, something around that level shows that he's at least steadying his game and putting him in, putting himself in the spot to at least be in the conversation for what the Bruins uh, do in net come the postseason. Safe bet that one of those two guys is going to come out on top as a goalie in the playoffs. So when we talk really safe bets, we talk about our good friends over at bet online, our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info, find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs fights and even next season's futures, which is always a great time. To take a look at and don't forget that baseball is back and the start of the major league baseball season is finally here bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs including live betting and your favorite vegas casino and poker games it's super easy to get started so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code clns50 to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit again promo code clns50 to receive that 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game Stats where the game starts. Speaking of where the game starts, no more Red Sox games. They're not doing so hot right now. It's not great. Not not great. great. Not great. I'm not even watching them that much, but I I see the updates on Twitter. I obviously follow the team and uh, I, I, I'm always shocked, especially that, you know, the game was it Friday or Saturday where they had the, they got no hit, then Dahlbeck hit the double and then they got like a walk off. And then they they got walked off right after that. So that's, that's about how it's gone. So far, not, Exactly what you're looking for, Evan. <laughs> no, not exactly. Now we get to the fun part. Now we get to our little activity for today. We get to do a fun little game because I've been I, not sick of it, but the regular season has been very slow to end and the storylines have been kind of the same. I don't want to keep repeating myself the certain things. I don't want to keep looking at Carolina and New York. So I want to take a look at this Bruins lineup against past Bruins lineups because I think I texted you and Ty this this weekend um, in the sense that I have two takeaways from this lineup right now. Number one, I do think this lineup is uh, better overall than last year's. I think it has a case to be better than the 2019-20 lineup. I think it has a case to be maybe even better than the uh, 18-19 lineup, which is tougher because there's parts that are better, parts that are worse. It's kind of what you value more. So why don't we take a look at each lineup uh, and kind of see how they match up. And... You know, you look at this Bruins lineup and you got Marshan Bergeron, DeBrusque as line one. You got Hall, Hall of Pasternak as line two. You got Frederick Coyle Smith as line three. 
Felino knows like Lazar, or you could put McLaughlin in there somewhere. He's played, mm-hmm. he certainly played himself into that role. I don't know if you saw that behind the B footage of uh, Mark McLaughlin at his dorm room. I just think that's amazing. Just the idea that he goes and scores goals in the NHL and then like drives home to Chestnut Hill and uh, goes into his dorm room. I think that is just spectacular. Um, truly the life. So we can go year by year with each line. And we'll do top six and we'll do bottom six because I guys have interchanged. And you look at this year's top six, right? With Martian, Bergeron, DeBrusque, Hall, Hall, Apostrock. I think the main takeaway from that would be uh, that there's more depth scoring there, right? You're not getting the first line putting up 90 points, but you are getting production from your second line. You look at 2021, Marshan Bergeron, Pasternak, Hall, Krejci, Smith. Do you think this top six is better than that top six? No, I don't think so. I think last year's really? top six was better. I think, yeah, I, I think at their full level when you had, uh, I think it helps this year that you have DeBrusque, you know, rolling and, and activated and engaged. I think it's close, but I, I think you look at the fact that you had that top line intact, which again, probably the proactive move to split up, you know, the, the Marshan Berger and Pasternak line, but still really, really good. And you looked at last year, that that uh, Hall, Krejci, um, Smith line, was a, a wagon. That team, that that line was uh, a force uh, at five on five play. So I think you look at uh, just in terms of maximizing the offensive capabilities of that top line um, or of, of that top six, I'd probably give last year's team the slight edge. This year has been helped out again, as, as I said, with DeBrus playing well um, and Halla being a great find. Is he better than Krejci? I don't think so, but still no. he's done more than, more than enough to, to fill in that spot there. Um, hey, he, su- but, he successfully missed the puck. Yes, exactly. He did what he did a, a Martian, except he actually ended up, you know, burying it. So, uh, again, it's close, but I think in terms of top ceiling and uh, of what you're getting out of that top six, I still go with the 2020-21 uh, Bruins in that regard, just in terms of top six. Yeah, I know. I see that, especially with Smith. He played really well alongside Krejci and Hall. Um, I just look at the move of Pasternak down to that second line is something that's that, that's really good. It's funny. If I had to pick a second line, if I had to go a uh, Hall, Hall of Pasternak versus a uh, Hall, Krejci, Smith, I maybe this is recency bias. I, it might be recent because obviously David Krejci, I think, is better than Hall, but Hall is producing and he's done it now for months. And I think Pasternak's a better flank on that right side than Smith is just because he's Pasternak, like that's something against Craig Smith. And Hall, I think this year has been uh, more comfortable. Uh, he's he's worked well with Pasternak. I might give it to the, I might give it to this year. Obviously, obviously, Martian Bergeron DeBrusque is not as good as uh, Martian Bergeron Pasternak. But I just think the depth of having Pasternak on that second line, I think, works. Um, let's go to 1920 because I think this this could be interesting. Uh, so obviously, you know what the top six this year is. 1920. I'm going off of Game One against the Hurricanes uh, in uh, in that summer which uh, there might be one change here. Marshan Bergeron, Pasternak is line one. DeBrusque, Krejci, Kasha is line two. I forget who went in uh, after uh, Kasha got injured. Um, it was a revolving door on that right side, right? I think so. It wasn't, I don't think there's any set guy there. Was it, was it, they didn't put Richie on the, that other side, right? No, because Richie was like in the bottom six because that was his like disastrous first playoff. Very bad, yeah. So what would you take? Uh, if you had to take this year or that year, which is the year they won the president's trophy, who would you take? Uh, I'd probably take this year in terms of it just being more balanced. Uh, and you could make the same argument with the 2018-19 team where, 
as much as that top line is elite and you have Krejci down the middle. Um, again, DeBrusk had a really good year in 2018-19, struggled uh, to find his game the last couple of years after that. And then you just had that black hole there on the on the, the right side. I mean, you look at 2018-19, a team went to game seven in the Stanley Cup final and Carson Kuhlman was the uh, top six <laughs> wing in game seven, right? And again, uh, he had it, – it's funny because he also – kind of can paint that with a wide brush in terms of Coleman, you know, where he fit into that lineup, but also had a pretty good playoff run, had that snipe against the Jordan Bennington. Like there was rationale behind it. It wasn't just like, you know, the Bruins putting like Mark McLaughlin in for game seven of 2021. (laughs) Like there's generally always some reasoning behind that. That being said, uh, if you look at the overall balance of the lineup, you'd much rather have what the Bruins had, both last year with uh, with Hall, Krejci, and Smith, and this year with Hall, Hall, and Pasternak. I mean, Pasternak, Carson Kuhlman. Yeah, I don't know. Kuhlman, probably, yeah, I'd probably take nice. David Pasternak. <laughs> yeah, probably would. So I agree. And I think it's the same with 1819. Back is some Kuhlman on that right side. I think you take this year over that. Uh, now we can go into uh, the bottom six, which is very interesting. This year, I'm going to go with Frederick Coyle Smith as the third line. It seems like that's what it's going to be for game one, at least. Um, and then I'll say Felino Nosek Lazar, but I think McLaughlin could slot in there for a Felino. He could he could mm-hmm. slot in somewhere in there, so I will include him. Um, comparing it to last year, Richie Corrali Coyle is that third line. Um, I forget if Coyle played the middle at all um, last year. I don't recall. Coyle at three C, I believe so, right? Yeah, because but Corrali, yeah. I remember going into the playoffs looked really good as a center, so they had him there too. Yeah. So I guess we'll go with that as the as the as the third line, and DeBrusque, Lazar Wagner was sort of that fourth line. Yeah. I would I would take this bottom six over that bottom six any day. I'm curious if you disagree with that. I think it's yeah, it's not even close. It's this year. I mean, you look at last year, not not only the fact that Charlie Coyle was still dealing with that knee injury and was not the same player he was during his first few years in Boston and not the same player he is now currently in terms of how he can impact a game with his puck puck possession play. Um that's made a world of a difference. Obviously, you've got uh, a guy like Lazar who's had a strong season. No six been an unsung uh, contributor on that fourth line. And they've also had other guys that have slotted in that have uh, impacted the game positively, especially on that fourth line. Even you could make the argument that a guy like McLaughlin or Bleed might be a better fit there, supposed to Felino. Like, I don't think Felino's oh, going to yeah. get bumped out of the lineup, but you look at what they brought, uh, especially a guy like Bleed. Again, not reinventing the wheel. He's not going to be flashy, but you know what you're going to get from him. And he's even had pretty solid offensive production for a fourth-line guy. I think he has, what, six goals and 12 points in 30-something games? For fourth-liner, pretty good. Uh, And you look at last year, too, um, whether it be Coyle being hurt, uh, you didn't really know what to do with DeBrusque, and his game was really uh, tailing off. And then even guys on that fourth line who were stalwarts in years past, like Wagner and Corrali, uh, be it injuries or what have you, just their game was tailing off. So it was almost kind of like the the 2015 Bruins where you had guys that a few years ago were key cogs in team that started to really tail off and was hurting the overall product on the ice. Um, so for this year, I think when you look at um, that third line they have now, even though it's maybe tailed off a little bit, when they're on their game, Frederick Coyle-Smith is a great third line and is a line that really needs to get that traction back going uh, to be a key mismatch, I think, in the postseason. And then, yeah, the fourth line, even if maybe this isn't the top 
configuration, the Bruins have many options they can turn to. And as we've seen every single year in the playoffs uh, and the grind that comes with it, I think it's safe to assume that they're not going to just stick with Felino, Lazar, and Nosek throughout it. It's going to be guys cycling in and out of the lineup. Guys are going to be banged up. So you're going to need a lot of other guys to step up, uh, as was the case in 2018-19 when you had, you know, Achari, uh, Corrali, Wagner, and Nordstrom all played key roles for four guys on a three-man unit. So uh, you could have the makings of that again this year. So I think when you look at, especially maybe comparing this current team to last year's, I give the top six a slight edge, but what puts them over the top, I don't think the bottom six is remotely close in terms of just how much better and more well-rounded this team is compared to last season. It's the same with 2019-20, I think. Your third line was like Richie Coyle, Bjork, um, Norton Crowley, Wagner were kind of coming off that really good year in 18-19. 18-19, though, you had a good bottom six. You had Johansson, Coyle, Heinen, uh, Nordstrom, Achari, and Corrali, and Wagner. Um, I think that's the closest. I think um, I think Craig Smith. I think the comps would be Craig Smith to Johansson, and then Heinen to Frederick. I think Frederick is a little bit better at kind of being coming in on the rush and forechecking. Heinen might produce a bit more. Um, Smith, I think, is a little bit more uh, reliable than Johansson when it comes to putting up points. Um, so maybe I give the edge to this year, but 1890 took you all the way to the cup. So like, that's also the other thing like that, that bottom six worked. So, um, let's move on to defense. Cause I think defense is where it gets really interesting. Uh, so this year I'll go with Lindholm McAvoy, uh, Grizzly Carlo, and then Forbert Clifton. Cause Mike Riley has played himself out of it, but Mike Riley is the seventh defenseman. So you can put him in seven D compare it to last year. Grizzlick McAvoy is the top pairing. Riley Carlo. And again, Riley, I think, is an interesting one because Riley was pretty good going into the playoffs yeah. last year. Looked like a sure fit. And then Lozon and Miller as that uh, third pairing. Um, what would you take between this year and last year? Sorry, so I think if you look at high-end skill, I also, maybe I'll look at through the lens of if they're playing up to their capabilities because if that's the case, then I think it's this year. Because, yes. I mean, I think Lindholm and, and McAvoy – as a dynamite top pairing, McAvoy's taken another huge step this year. And even though he hasn't played that much, Lindholm, easy to notice the difference he brings to this team. He's yes. a legit impact player. So I think that in itself puts him probably over the top. Look at Grizzly Kahlo. If they're playing to their capabilities, that's a great second pairing. It just hasn't always manifested itself this year, whether it's Grizzly not being with uh, McAvoy and kind of the benefits of that, obviously, or I think Kahlo is the big kind of equalizer there that, that's a guy that you need to be playing at a top level, especially when you get to the playoffs and the PK work and the matchups that he's going to face. Um, and even last year in the postseason, I wouldn't say it was a sterling, like, you know, playoff run for Kahlo. It wasn't like the 2018, 19 run where he was dynamite with Krug in the yeah. playoffs, but still you lost Kahlo and you saw how it all kind of unraveled in that Islander series. So even I think his presence alone helps him out quite a bit. You just like him to maybe put out a lot more fires in the D zone, which hasn't really been the case this year. So when they're playing at their level, they're great. And then third pair, uh, it's a bit of a wild card, isn't it? I mean, it It is. I I will say that I think Fulbert's cleaned up his game quite a bit down the stretch here. And again, he's not going to be flashy, but you saw in some of those PK shifts and you're going to see a whole lot of that, those high pressure situations against teams that can bury you in a hurry with their firepower. You look at Carolina, you look at the Rangers on their power play. You have to face Florida down the stretch. 
a guy like Fulbert's going to be uh, going to be relied on pretty heavily. So uh, he brings value. And then Clifton, again, it's kind of a wild card, but I think you're kind of encouraged by what you've seen from him over the last couple of games, right? He kind of had, sat out there as they tried to experiment with that Fulbert-Riley pairing. Did not work out. No. But since then, Clifton's come back. And I think Clifton's one of those guys where plays pretty well, kind of hits that like lull, gets sat, and then comes back and, and gives you that same level again. It's kind of the ebbs and flows of kind of the, the Cliffy Hoffy. Cliffy hockey experience, the but, Cliffy coffee. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Cliffy hockey experience, but um, I think you've seen the last couple of games, whether it's being a little bit more assertive with the puck, he's uh, had a couple of assists, or just um, picking his spots well when it comes to delivering a, a solid hit and taking a guy out of a play. Uh, you're seeing a lot more of that, so it's tough because I'm viewing it from the lens of if these guys are playing to their level, and you haven't seen that at all, you know at all times this year with a guy like Kahlo per se. But I think when you also add in the fact that McAvoy's taken a big step and Lindholm's there, that's already a super pairing that can keep you afloat for what half of a game, the way they play. So yes. if Carlo and Grizzly, you know, regain their play and get that chemistry back going, you've got the makings of still a very good decor that at the very least is going to limit those great eight chances and get the puck out of the D zone uh, with ease uh, throughout a playoff run. Yeah. And, and, um, I'm not going to go and compare every single uh, D pair since 1819. Cause I, I don't, I think going on and on just gets kind of like the same stuff. Um, I will say in net, obviously you would take Rask last year though, with Rask injured, you might take a healthy Olmark and a healthy Swayman over a guy like Rask, but most 19, 20, 18, 19 you take Rask. Um, the one thing I will ask when it comes to the end of this conversation, who do you think is better for McAvoy? Is it, Lindholm this year, or is it the the 2018 to 2020 Chara, who was older, who could still, you know, shut guys down, but he just breaking the puck out wasn't his greatest asset. The age started to show a tiny bit. I'm curious who you would take, because even though Lindholm has not played a lot with McAvoy yet to the level that Chara obviously had. I kind I, I don't know. I, I have a tough time picking against Chara, especially in those times. But it feels like Lindholm might be the more uh more actual kind of a fit. Next yeah, time. I think the, the fit is the important thing. And I think it frees up McAvoy a lot more to be more assertive with the puck. And I think you it's it's a, a bad term to say that like McAvoy was babysitting Chara because he wasn't, but in terms of just being more restrained with his offensive game. And granted, you also had Toy Krug on some of those decors. So it wasn't like he, you know, McAvoy was the point man for power play reps or being really uh, creative and assertive with the puck. But uh, when you look at just how Lindholm complements McAvoy's skill set and their both their ability to break the puck out, get the puck moving, get in transition, um, I think that's made of a world of a difference for McAvoy. Because we've seen it in spurts throughout his career. He's seen it a lot more consistently this season, but when McAvoy is, you know, activating off the blue line and kind of has a head of steam with the puck on his stick, there's been plenty of times in the past where like, here we go. So that's when he's feeling <laughs> confident. And usually it's a great eight chance probably isn't far behind. Um, you're seeing that a lot more now. And I think having a guy in Lindholm who complements his skill set, but also has the, the frame and the ability to log heavy minutes to keep up with McAvoy in that regard as well, which maybe was one of the flaws with a guy like Grizzly, for example, of again, compliments him very well but is he built to be a, a top pairing guy so 
it's tough because again, you don't want to really go against Char and you know what he meant to this team and his importance to bringing a guy like McAvoy along. But in terms of overall fit and getting the most out of McAvoy, I think I'll go with Lindholm. Yeah, no, I would too. I would too. It's hard to do. It's hard to go against Char though. My second point though on the lineup thing, and I'll just kind of make this quick. Even though this Bruins team overall, or you know, has more depth and might be uh, has a little bit of a higher ceiling than last year's team in certain areas and teams before this is the best the east has been in yes. a long time this is like it's similar to like if your salary goes up but inflation's happening everywhere so it's like it, you improved a lot but so did everybody else and i think that's one of the things with this team where it's really it's tough for them where like they might have a better they might have more depth than last year they might be uh, better in the top six than the 1920 season when they won the president's trophy but they do not like the, the field is so much tougher, right? The Hurricanes and the Rangers and the Penguins and in the Atlantic you ha- you have uh, the Panthers who are a wagon and the Lightning and the and the Maple Leafs have gotten better. And you look at that and you go, damn, that's going to be a really challenging gauntlet. So whoever makes it out of that, kudos to them. But this Bruins team is better than they were in past years in certain areas. But so too is the uh, conference it plays in, which is very difficult. But mm-hmm. anyways. But, but also, what, what yes. about goaltending? Didn't we kind of go over this already? Oh, in terms of like Rask over. Well, I, I, I said I would obviously take Rask in 18 and 19 and 19 and 20 over this group. probably. Yeah. But last year is where you actually have the debate because yeah. last year you have an injured Rask. I would probably take I would take a healthy Omar and I would take a healthy Swayman over what you had with Rask last year. Um, yeah, against the Islanders. Agree. I mean, it, do you think there's any, like, again, unless Olmark, unless they can perfect the platooning, if you can put Olmark in for two, swimming in for one, Olmark in for one, swimming in for one, if you can figure that out and do that, you might have just cracked open gold. Like, yeah. then it's different. Then it's completely different. But Rask was a was so good in that 1819 run, and he was also a Vesna candidate in 1920. I mean, do you have any differing thoughts on that? No, I mean, I think it comes down to I think that Rask is the big equalizer, a healthy Rask, obviously. Like if Rask was healthy last year, I'd still think last year's team was better than than this year's, but obviously it was not the case. Uh, and I think that's the biggest probably determinant when you look at this, uh, how far the Bruins can go this year, especially when you look at, as we've already said, how deep this playoff bracket is with the amount of teams that can score four or five goals in a hurry on you. Uh, if Olmark and Swimming aren't up to pa in that regard, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble because even a prime up to Rask, pa in that regard. Uh, uh, yeah, I know that was bad. <laughs> um, but even like a prime Rask probably have his hands full with going up against Carolina and Florida and all these teams that are uh, in this playoff bracket. So it's going to be tough with uh, Olmark and Swimming for sure, but if, if they're up to, you know, I'm not going to say up to power again, up to the task, then <laughs> the task. it sends, yeah, it sends a much better chance of going on a run. But uh, I think that's the big equalizer there in terms of just how far this team can go and how they stack up against other Bruins teams in the past. If they can master the art of platooning uh, two goalies with no playoff experience, they can go as far as they want. Because yes. you're not getting, if you're Olmark or Swayman, you're not getting seven games potentially against the Hurricanes. You're getting like three or four. So then it's different. Then it's completely different. But that is, 
yet to be seen. They don't pay us to make those decisions. That's for Bruce and goalie Bob and all them. It's for us to criticize and, <laughs> and analyze. That's what we're here for. Um, anyway, speaking of um, critiques and, and analysis and columns, uh, Connor, what can people look forward from uh, to from you over at BSJ? Yeah, uh, as you said, critiques and columns and, and previews and all those things will be over at BSJ over this final week of the regular season. Then we can finally look ahead to the playoffs, see who the Bruins are playing, start our series breakdowns, our, uh, our look aheads at that. We still have a few features we're uh, planning on rolling out over the next week or two. Uh, we dropped one on uh, Monday morning uh, regarding the Bruins and their adoption of uh, analytics and how Bruce Cassidy and his staff kind of combine that with their game plan, which it's just fascinating beyond just the, the numbers involved, just how that process works and what they read off of what the analytics staff gives them. It's a very interesting read, even for people who aren't diehard uh, stat geeks or nerds, nerds as uh, Bruce Cassidy calls them. So uh, that's over at BSJ as well. So please subscribe at bostonsportsjournal.com. Want to follow me on Twitter? You can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that. For CLNS Media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You Bruinsby listeners have a great rest of your week. Mm-hmm.